Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Amanda Bond, and we're going to talk about how to target cold audiences with Facebook ads. If you need to put a little fuel on the fire of growing your leads or your sales with Facebook advertising to audiences that do not know who you are, you're going to love this podcast. By the way, you want to reach me, you can tag me at Stelzner on Instagram or podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool for all of us who want to not only transcribe, but also record our meetings and be able to do it without even having to think about it. It's fireflies.ai. Fireflies.ai. Tell me more. Okay. So this is, I, I didn't know I needed this, but now I do. So what it does is you connect it to your calendar or a number of other, you know, your, your meeting type softwares, like your go to meeting, your zoom, um, whatever it is they call Google, the Google meeting one. Now it's not Google hangouts, but there is one that's Google and you connect it to that. And then you give this, you give fireflies, um, permission. And then when that meeting starts, it will also dial in as an attendee. Really? Yeah. And then it will record the audio of the meeting as well as transcribe it for you. And then you have that to be able to go back and refer to or listen back to the meeting along with the text that's there. This is great for everybody. I mean, you could even, I mean, perceivably, you could even use that uh, audio for other repurposing um, options if you wanted to, or the text as well. So, okay. I guess the first question is how do they spell fireflies? Is it strange or is it what it's, it's literally fireflies, but I keep want I keep reading it wrong and wanting to say fire files. Cause that would almost make more sense for this service, but hmm. you know, so, so it's F L I E S instead of F. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then, um, so it's it, obviously it costs money. It must, right? How's that work? It does. So, but the cool thing is, is, and, and I tried to figure out how to get around this, but there's, you know, it's a good thing for us is that the free option basically is great. I mean, the free option gives you unlimited meetings, unlimited transcribing. You have a 60 minute limit on the meetings. So there's your kind of your cap there. And then there's one other cap, which is it'll only store and allow you to search the calls for up to 30 days. So you have a window 
of 30 days to be able to access the call and then, you know, it goes away. But then, you know, you tear up and pay for like the $30 a month for the pro or even like 60 a month for business. And all of that stuff goes away and you get some more smart connections and different bells and whistles. But again, that free option is going to be great for a majority of people out there. It's not done by a human, obviously, for that price. It's done by a machine, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's how, uh, how accurate is it? I mean, and do you, is it easy to play back the audio and look at the recording at the same time? Do you know? Oh yeah, I mean, it, it goes in tandem. I mean, you press play, and then it got, has a little highlighter that is showing which word is being spoken at which time. Huh. And it's fairly accurate. And wow. again, I may have been tricked into some of the accuracy. I don't know because I was hearing it as well as seeing it. Right. But again, I couldn't really distinguish very many mistakes at all. So, and I would imagine you can download a document for yourself if you want to. Is that right? Yeah, I believe that was the case. So it, it was pretty, pretty interesting. Wow. Very cool. So um, where do we find this thing? Yeah. So you can find it again at, uh, it is a different spelling of the, the word firefly. It's fireflies.ai. So that's F-I-R-E-F-L-I-E-S dot A-I. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric, for bringing us that find. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for my interview with Amanda Bond. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Amanda Bond. If you don't know who Amanda is, you should. She's been on this show. This will be her fourth time she is a Facebook ads expert, founder of The Ad Strategist, and her course is called The Strategy System. Amanda, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm like smiling ear to ear. It's such a pleasure to be here with your incredible audience and yourself. Well, thank you. So today, Bond and I, who she often, she prefers Bond. I'm working on this. <laughs> today, Bond and I are going to explore targeting cold audiences with Facebook ads and um, this is something that some of you are very intimately familiar with, but many of you might be like us at Social Media Examiner, heavily using remarketing ads and maybe not doing as much as you could with cold ads on Facebook. And that's why I'm super stoked to kind of dig in today with Amanda. So, um, slash bond. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's going to take me a while to get over this. So, um, why should we use Facebook ads when it comes to finding new customers. Talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, for sure. The 
I mean, you, you summarized it well by saying, Hey, there's some people out there that are using retargeting for a reason, right? And the opposite of why people are using retargeting is why cold traffic is so amazing. So let's just quickly recap why we would use something like retargeting. Okay. These people are coming into your world from different areas. They might be coming from Pinterest over to your blog, or you might write for other outlets or be on podcasts and people are visiting your website or going from social media over to your sales page or your store. There's a lot of traffic movement already for most brands. So retargeting makes sense because you just take the attention that you are already getting and start to position them towards the offers that you're making, towards what you're wanting these prospects to ultimately end up purchasing. The benefits that come along with that is that retargeting is very cost effective because you've warmed people up. You've indoctrinated them into your brand by the blog post, by the podcast, through the live streams. And the retargeting is really just getting people to the point of making a purchase decision. However, everything that I just said from blogging and doing content marketing and SEO and, you know, live streams and podcasts, all of that takes time and effort to build out. So on the flip side of retargeting, we could actually use Facebook ads to drive cold traffic people that don't have a clue who we are to then start that indoctrination process almost on hyperdrive. It feels like once it's you start an accelerant, there, right? Cold audiences. Yeah. It's an, ex- it's an accelerant, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like pouring gasoline on a little fire, right? Exactly. I mean, that's the best way that I could even think of describing it, pouring fuel on the fire to blow things up with that, like leverage through Facebook ads. Uh, and I want to share a little bit of the story of what we do here at Social Media Examiner because I think people might find this interesting. Obviously, we have a we have an email list that's healthy. You know, it's huge actually. So for us, you know, traditionally we drive traffic through our large blog and our email list to whatever the product is, and it's pretty substantial numbers of individuals because it's owned media, right? And then what we right. do is we target those people with like ads that are designed to get them to close the sale. However. This is where uh, we're starting to experiment is when we have a new product that's about to launch, we use cold advertising to test the product to a marketplace. So what we're doing right now, as of this recording, is we are testing traffic from Facebook to uh, a new course that we have on Google Analytics. And by this recording, it will have already passed. But we're doing lots of tests to see whether what the conversion rate is. And we're paying... Um, Facebook specifically to drive traffic to this page so that we can simulate what it will be like when we turn on the engines and we can tweak the sales page, optimize it and get it ready for the launch. So that's how we're doing it. Um, and there's an example of how you could do it too, right? What I love about what you're doing there is the fact that you're getting the data to then scale it up, to then build in some leverage because I always say you pay one of two ways. You're either going to pay with your time and you're going to hustle out there organically. You're going to write, speak on podcasts, go on social media, or you can get that same amount of data by just setting aside an ads budget to colder audiences to see, hey, what's it going to cost us to acquire a customer at the end of the day who don't have a clue who we are? If you know that number, that gives you more of an indication of your ability to acquire 
more and more and more and more and more customers at the end of the day than just being like, hey, this audience that we've already spent so much time and attention warming up, like getting them to convert is going to be much cheaper in the long run. So I love what you guys are doing, Mike, in terms of testing those cold audiences to really understand that cost per acquisition. Yeah, because then the hypothesis is if we can calculate a conversion rate to a cold audience and we can hypothesize that a warm audience might convert at a higher rate, then we know we're set up for success, right? And and that's just the way we do it. And it's, you know, we typically only do it for a couple of weeks uh, in preparation for the actual, you know, launch. But there are businesses out there, plenty of you who are listening right now who do not have a podcast, do not have a blog, do not have an email list, do not have a big organic following. And that's where you need to pay attention to what we're going to be talking about today. Right, Amanda? Yeah, definitely. I'm a big believer at that stage when you're a smaller business or a smaller brand and you don't have all of those assets that are currently bringing attention. From what I know to be true in my own experience and what we've seen with clients and through the consulting that we do is that by going and doing the things organically to understand your audience more intimately, all of those organic efforts to create that warm audience are only going to help you to be more successful with your cold traffic ads in the future. Cool. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you put a page post out on your Facebook page and it gets crickets with the audience that you're already building, it's going to get crickets when you try and go out to a cold audience. So there is a time to test it your way, like at Social Media Examiner with this new product. And there is a time to flip the equation and be like, all right, how can we test it with our warm audiences first to then see, hey, does this product like does this product even have any legs? Right. And that's usually a, a more a, a younger business per se. Let's let's call it that. Right. Well, I like that. So let's assume for the sake of the conversation that we are using cold ads to try to promote or sell a product because I think that's what most of the marketers, I think, at least from my perspective, would be very interested in. So let's assume, I don't know, I don't really care what company it is, but but like the key, I think the first question I will want to ask is like, hey, there's billions of people on Facebook. How do I determine who I should target with my cold ads? I know you have a lot to say on this, so kind of guide us, if you will. I do have a lot to say. And most people are going to be like, oh, Bond, why did you say that answer? It's always going to be almost a guess for the very first time that you run ads to a cold audience. I say almost a guess because, of course, we can do some due diligence. We can go into Facebook audience insights and see all of the different categories that are available to target. And each time we click on something that is similar to our product and service, Facebook Insights is going to give us more recommendations, more pages and interests, just like the ones that we're finding there. So yes, you can do that research, but the like which one you choose at the end of the day will ultimately be a gamble. I want to back up for a second because you, you kind of went quick over that. So you kind of alluded that if you go into your Facebook audience insights, which I think what you just log into your page and click on insights, or how do you get to that? 
you go into Facebook ads manager and on the menu, there is an option that is called audience insights. And what do we typically see there? Like, cause some people probably are like me and maybe they have someone else doing it for them or maybe they're total rookies like I am. So like when you click in on audience insights, you kind of alluded that it shows you something more about other audiences. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So for those of you who don't like data and spreadsheets, it might look overwhelming when you first go to check it out. But what you will see is on the left-hand side of the screen, a bunch of different parameters that you can start selecting. That is demographic information. And closer to the bottom, there's going to be a section that is all about the big categories Facebook uses for their interests. So that could be uh, news and entertainment. That could be food and dining. So very large, broad categories. As advertisers, we can then start clicking down deeper into each and every one of those categories to see so many more topics. Once you click on like a topic, it's going to take all of the demographic and psychographic information from that topic, and it's going to start to show you some really cool things like similar pages or the number of ads that the people who like that interest are clicking on a monthly basis. I find that one oh, very, what, what very is, fascinating. Yeah, how do we interpret that? What does that tell us? So the way that I interpret that is when I'm looking through a list of, let's say, 20 interests, I will actually in my spreadsheet make a column and say, okay, well, I want to know of these interests, how many people are clicking on ads per month, right? And we see the number typically range from about 15 to up to 50, right? Like 50 on the high end. Is that a percentage? That's that's number of ads clicked per month. So if you think about that, that's less than one every two days up to uh, almost three ads a day. So that's an average across that user base. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. So like anyone who has that interest on their profile based on whatever their actions are on and off Facebook, whatever third party data they are or aren't getting Anyone in that group of interest, they're taking that broad average and saying, hey, these users are clicking less or more than other interests. So I find that fascinating. The, the data analyst side of me almost wants to settle in about the 75th percentile. Like I don't want to choose an audience that is crazy click happy on ads but I also don't want to choose an audience, and by audience I mean interest, that is uh, a little bit more conservative on their ad click. So I usually hone in on the people coming in around the 75th percentile and say, okay, it's not the top top, but it's more than average. So, Those are so the interests so, that I look at. So when you say 75th percentile, does it say a number 75 or how are you calculating that? So I would go and put it into my spreadsheet. I would like, I would look at 20 different interests. I would manually write in the number. It might be like 47, 32, find like, and then sort them. Oh, right, and look, by, look, look at the range and then find something that's like in, near the top, but not all the way at the top. Is that what I'm hearing exactly. you say? Exactly. So sort them in like descending order and then look into like that, that 15, 16, 17, actually from like 13 to 17, those would be the ideal ones that, that I would get started with. 
And is it because they tend to be a little more economical or is it, Um, or is it not necessarily, is it just been from your experience that you found they tend to convert better? It's just been from my experience because sometimes those ones at the top, they, uh, they're questionable. We'll say they're a little bit spammy in terms of what the interest might be. It might be too broad. So for example, um, an entrepreneur magazine, you might think that the audience would be perfect if you sell B2B. However, one thing the entrepreneur is known for is having some kind of clickbaity headlines, which then just stir, like stirs discussion. So maybe that audience isn't as targeted as something like Adweek, which is very specific. Got it. Okay, so you were saying um, that you go into Audience Insights and you start clicking down, and as you click down, it reveals categories, right? So, for example, I would imagine there must be some sort of business category underneath that must be every conceivable, and then there's probably a marketing category and something underneath that. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly, and so it just gets deeper and deeper. I think it goes about, uh, off the top of my head, about four or five levels deep to get those broad topics. And then once you click on a broad topic, that's where it starts start suggesting other pages that have similar affinity to that topic. Do you recommend then that we do choose these kinds of topics like digital marketer, or social media marketer? Or, I mean, I, I know those are some of the topics because I'm pretty confident we have targeted those before. Yeah, exactly. I That's what you would do. So this kind of starting realm, you look at as much data as possible in these interest categories. You mark them down in your spreadsheet. You see what ads they're looking at. You see kind of their their social economic status that they uh, that Facebook provides to you within audience insights. Then you get like this general ranking. Here's where I would recommend taking the research off of Facebook, not necessarily off of Facebook. Let's, let's say onto Instagram. This would be the next recommendation that I have. You're going to take these like top 20 interests, or you might only have 10 at this time and go over to Instagram where you're going to search for the profile of these top 10 listed interests that you have already. And then once you go search the profile, you're going to click to follow them. And once you follow them, Instagram does this beautiful thing where it recommends other people exactly similar to that profile that you might not have thought of that could be a Facebook interest as well. So give me an example of how one of those search queries might work just so I can track what you're saying there. Yeah. Okay. So let's say um, you, let's say you have a baby pacifier that is revolutionary. So the first thing you're going to do is go into audience insights. You're going to go down into the baby categories, really start to get the demographics of the mothers or the parents that would be purchasing, get about 10 different interests based on how those people are responding to ads and their demographic makeup, and then take each one of those 10 interests that you come up with, and let's say Scary Mommy, that's a, a blogger brand in the mom world. Scary Mommers or Scary Mommy is one of those interests. You're gonna go over onto Instagram, search for their URL, give them a quick follow, which you could always unfollow if you don't wanna stay following that person. And once you click follow, it's going to start recommending other similar brands ah. to Scary Mommy. 
Okay, so just to be clear then, when you dig down into the interests, sometimes the interests are not broad category phrases. Sometimes they're names of companies or names of bloggers or whatever. Am I right? Exactly. For example, social media examiner is a Facebook interest. Okay, so getting back to the interest, does it tell you how big the audience is or is there a way to figure that out? It does tell you how big the audience is inside of both uh, like the insights tab and when you go to set up an ad itself. So when you're entering in that targeting information into your ad sets, when you go say, hey, I'm going to target this interest, it will show you the size of that audience at that time. Should we be concerned if the audience is too large or too small? Uh, this is such a hot button topic because every single Facebook advertiser will tell you a different answer. What I know to be true, what we look for is audiences of around at least 50 to 80,000 up to about 5 million. 5 million is on the large size. And so I wouldn't necessarily start there. I would start between Usually 100,000 to about a million, that's that's like, indica- like indicative of a good audience to start with because it's not too small, but it's not big enough that it's very broad. A 1 million size audience can still be very specific and very like niche down. So I, would, I have no clue how big social media examiner's audience is. My guess is it's probably in that range somewhere. You yeah, could- I actually don't even recall yeah. myself. So, um, okay, so you've got the audiences, you've got the sizes, the demographics, you've done a little uh, research on Instagram to kind of see if it lifts up so many, some similar ones that are, that the AI thinks are relevant that you can also go back into Facebook and, and mess around with. Is that why we're doing that on Instagram? Exactly. So just, just to find new ideas that you might not have thought of, because there are some limitations to audience insights. It's, it's not as intuitive. Sometimes they give recommendations that aren't actually interests. They're just Facebook pages. So sometimes we have to put in a little bit more effort to find the juicy interests that we're going to start with. Now, most of what we've been talking about today starts with the Facebook insights and just zooms down. What if we know, for example, who the influencers are in our world? Or what if we know the publications they read or dot, 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 dot? How should we use that information? I mean, I would start there. When we go to set up the actual campaigns, we will choose about three to five interests if you're just testing cold audiences. And if you have a laser focus on the audiences that you are trying to get in front of based on uh, competition, like competitive research, based on other avatar activities that you have done within the company or brand, you don't necessarily have to do a ton of due diligence on interests because once you go to do those ads, like actually set them up, you have no idea how they're going to perform. And even myself, who spends so much time guessing and predicting what's going to work, is constantly surprised what interests actually come to the top of the pile. All right. How many interests should we have in hand when we move to the next part of the process? Which And, and what is that next part of the process? Or how many audience? I don't know what we call this, but how many cold audiences, I guess is what I'll say, should we have ready in hand when we move to the next part of the process? And then what is the next part of the process? 
So it's going to be less than you would assume. I feel like there's a lot of people out there saying, go test 10 or 20, right? Like go test the entire list. We're going to start with just anywhere between two to five, and we're going to see the results of those audiences first. I always think of it this way, like you're going to start to spend some money and I do recommend spending, let's say, let's say your product is $50. I would spend about three to five times as much as your product is like your cart size, just to get a feeling for how this is going to convert. And let's be honest, it's cold audiences. So you might not even make a sale for, you know, the cost of something three to five times what you would earn on that. So you might be in the negative running these first few campaigns. The mindset though, that we need to take at this time is all about finding out what is and isn't working in terms of each and every step of the sales process, right? So it's an experiment is what you're saying, right? We have to be, we have to be willing to like, just like you go to Vegas, you got to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to come home empty handed, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's like going back to grade 12 where you're in science class and you have to make a hypothesis. You have to choose your variables. You're going to make a prediction, right? And then at the end, you're either going to be proven right or wrong. That's how it works, right? And I always say, as a Facebook ad strategist, the reason that we have so much success is because I've probably failed with more ad spend than most people have spent to this point. And it's in the lessons that happen, even when it doesn't convert, that gives you the insight to continue to make your ads better. So- All right, I have have a quick question. So let's say you say, say, hey, to begin with, start with like three to five- uh, groups that you're at, you're experimenting with, I guess we call yep. them campaigns. Is that the right phrase? Um, so the question is, should we combine some of these interests together into one group, depending on how big they are? Or should we never do that and always keep them separate? Talk to me about I make, that. I'm making a giant X with my hand right now. Do not combine them. Do not combine them because we need to understand individually, does this audience work? I see it time and time again where people will just like load a bunch of targeting in there and they'll layer it with income earnings and just so many, like so many different things. You don't know what might be successful and what might be tanking that ad set at the end of the day. So the first thing that we're going to do is understand individually, is this an interest that works for us? What if they're all really small? Would we combine them then? No, that's why we choose something that's between the like the 50,000 to 80,000. You might only run them for $5 a day for the next 5 days. Got it. But at least you understand, okay, now if that works, I can group it together in the future, but don't group until you know that that one performs. Cool. All right, so we've got three groups, let's say um, and you, you, you recommended take the dollar amount and multiply it by three, whatever the retail price is for your testing. Um, what are we measuring exactly? Everything. Can that be the answer? We are looking at everything from the ad itself. Okay. What was our click through rate? How many clicks did we get? What was the cost of those clicks? And the data that that is telling you is the audience that you're targeting how are they resonating with that ad? 
if your click-through rate is below a 1.5, that's usually an indicator that your audience isn't matching up with the message that you are putting in front of them. Strong ads, you'll see a 1.5 and above. Just to clarify, this is for newsfeed ads and doesn't include right-hand column. Right-hand column is just naturally clicked less, but the CPM, the cost to deliver those ads is much lower as well to make up for that. So don't worry about your click-through rate over on right-hand column. So what I'm hearing you say is that we shouldn't do all placements in the beginning when we're testing, maybe just do the newsfeed? You can still do all placements if you choose to. I personally like to split them up to optimize them a little bit more. Instagram stories, for example, is a vertical while newsfeed might be a horizontal or even a square. And then your right-hand column might be a rectangle. So I personally like splitting them up. However, if you don't split them up and you just choose all placements, you can always go and look in ads manager where you see all of the results of your campaigns and look at the breakdown. They'll let you split it up based on placement to understand the click-through rate for each and every placement on Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, all the placements. All right, next question. Wait, 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 because we weren't done with numbers. That's just the ad. We also have to measure every single thing that's happening once people click, right? So this is the number of people landing on the page to the number of people opting in. If there is- Okay, perfect. So don't just click, don't just track the clicks and don't just track the conversions is what I'm hearing you say. Track both, right? Exactly. All the way through. Time on site, everything, right? Everything. Now I have a question related to this. So I didn't, when I said next question, I didn't mean we're going. So the ad itself, my intuition tells me we should run- our best ad to all these audiences rather than a different ad to each of these audiences so that we can rule out that it's the ad. But I don't know. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Can you say that in a different way? You're saying- Okay. So like we have three audiences. In my my world as also an analyst, I would want the exact same ad to be run to all three audiences to rule the ad out as, the, as what could be or could be not hurting the audience, right? So- Uh, the alternative would be to customize the one ad to each audience, but then you don't know whether it's the audience or the ad. Does that make sense? Complete sense. This is going back to our scientific experiment. You can't have too many variables or else you're not, you you won't understand what is or isn't working within that experiment. So absolutely agree. Isolate what you are testing. And with cold audiences, we're going to start by testing our, our actual audiences themselves, once we know what audiences are starting to perform, then we can test our creatives. That's why I always say start with the warm audiences so you can find out like what what was the creative that performed extremely well with those warm audiences for less and resulted in sales take those highest performing ones and bring them out to the cold audiences. Yeah. And what we do is because we have copywriters on staff is we, we take our, what we think is our best ad. And then what we do is we we're targeting it to all these different audiences to try to find the audience that we believe is the winner, which we're going to get to in a little bit. And then, and then we start running variations on those ads. But, but one of the things I want to talk through a little bit is what do we do if we get a lot of clicks, but we don't get a lot of sales Um, should we give up on it right away or should we let it run a little longer? What are your thoughts or conversions or whatever our conversion goal is? You know, I mean, my thoughts are 
my thoughts are yes, keep it running as long as people have made it all the way through the process. The sales cycle for some people might take a month and after a week, their ads aren't performing. Well, it's like, that's not a fair fight because you have to wait a month to actually see the ROI of that ad. What's your thoughts on attribution windows uh, when it comes to ads? Should they be seven (laughs) days, one day? What do you think? Um, Specifically for the cold ads. Yeah. The attribution should be what your sales cycle is. Got it. That's, that's the easiest way to look at it. If it takes me seven days to make the offer in my email sequence, your attribution window has to be at least seven days. And based on data in our own, like in our own company, we have people opt in to learn more about our program, which then we continue sending them content for 12 weeks. And we get conversions every single one of those 12 weeks because we're staying top of mind, even though we're not selling in the nurture sequence afterwards. So I would even say our attribution period is longer than the 28 days that Facebook gives us. So we just keep it at 28 days, click one day view. I wish it could be zero days view, but it is what it is. Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about, um, we've got some winners, right? And presumably what we meant by winners is we've got someone at a cost per acquisition that's within our goal, right? Um, what do we do then? Like, let's say we found an audience that's converting at or below our goal. Yep. Um, and obviously we've been running tests, right? And it's, we haven't put a lot of money into it yet. What's the next step? The next step is to continue with the audiences that you have. So if those audiences are working and your frequency isn't something insane like nine yet, any any frequency that is still below a three, our data proves that you can still have profitable ROI even though they're seeing the ad multiple times. So we'll keep ads running up to a frequency of three. So interest, right? Like an ad set. Can you cap that in the ad or is it doesn't, or is that a manual thing where you can't say, don't show it beyond the third time? You can only cap it if you're doing a reach ad, but there's some nuances there. If you tell Facebook, I just want reach, they're not going to optimize and go find the people most likely to convert to leads or most likely to purchase. So, okay. So watch, watch for something that's more than three and not converting is what I'm hearing you say. Actually, I'm going to call myself out on there. I think with their new parameters, you can put like filters and parameters onto your ads. I believe frequency might be one of the options that you can choose to say, Hey, once this ad, like ad set reaches three frequency, turn it off. And so this is something that is newer within the last year where you can put parameters onto your ads, which is great for media buyers who are just doing volume. Okay. So I took you down a rabbit trail. I want to bring you back. So, uh, so the <laughs> question, the question was, um, you've got some winners. You, you haven't put a lot of money into it yet. What's the next step? Okay. So once you find out, Hey, do we have a little bit more frequency left and it's working? If they're a large enough audience, we're going to duplicate the interests that are working to speed up your exposure to them. So let's say you have an interest and you're doing $50 a day, but it is a 2 million person audience. So it's going to take you a month and a half to serve up impressions to all those people. Well, what we can do is just duplicate that ad set. So have two ad sets targeting the exact same audience for $50 each a day. And the reason that you would do that is to generate some more ROI from that audience that is working without 
going up by 20%, like without doing the, okay, we're at 50, let's tweak the budget today and go 20% more with this interest. The reason here is every single time you tweak the budget, every single time you change a campaign, the algorithm, like the ads auction that it is in restarts. And so if something is working, just don't change it duplicate it. So that's step one. Okay. Hold on a second. I like this a lot, but let's say I want to duplicate it, but can I increase the budget on the duplicated one so that I can get more money towards it? Because let's say I've got a winner and I've only put 50 bucks a day and I want to take it to 500, but I duplicate it. And then I come up with one that's, you know, rather than making 10 duplications, can I make another duplication and put more money towards that? So every single time that we have tested this hypothesis, what happens when you jump from one budget to the next your ad account spends at a different rate and you get much different results. So I do recommend if you're starting with something that is working, yes, duplicate it, but don't ever duplicate it and double it. If you're going to duplicate it, what if you have a really short, what if you have a really short window though? You know, like let's say there's a product that has like a live event and it's got an end date in in weeks, a matter of weeks, you know, what do you do in that circumstance when you're in it, not for the long haul, but you're in it for the short term? So we've experimented with this in like a launch format. For example, hey, it's closed cart day. We want everyone on this day to see it. I'm going to say the exact same thing. Any single time that we've tried to go from like a $100 a day ad budget to like a $1,000 a day ad budget, it's too much. Every single time, all of a sudden our cost per click, almost 10 X's as well. Right. So you're getting the same results because the your account and how it's like being entered into the auction is not the same. So we have tested over the last like three years, taking the budget and going from 100 to a thousand and taking the budget and just making 10 ad sets, all of a hundred dollars for that 24 hour period. Every single time the lower amount, but more ad sets win out. And there's so much like, and and the the ads aren't necessarily competing against each other. Exactly. That's what I was just trying to get at. Like so many people say you're trying to compete against each other. Well, when you are in launch mode, when there is a cart close day and that urgency is real, you just want to get in front of that audience every single way possible. And so the, the amount that you're quote unquote competing with yourself does not outweigh the actual benefit of your cost per customer acquisition doing this strategy. Like every single one of those ad sets will return at a very high rate, making it worthwhile for us. Okay. So the key thing is you can only raise it 20% daily. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Is that correct? Literally, there's there's no hard and fast rule but on that's, this. That's, that's your experience, right? 20% a day is fair. Is that what I'm yeah. hearing? Yeah. And then, and then uh, that'll stop it from restarting the algorithm auction thingamajigger, right? And then, and then yeah. you can, you can also, du- you can double it if you duplicate it. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? Love it. Double it if you duplicate it. A D if you D. <laughs> okay. So what else? Um, what about like lookalike audiences and all that fun stuff? You know, talk yeah. to me about that. That's the exact next thing. So once your interests are working and rocking away, now it is time to implement lookalike audiences, which are essentially an audience based on a source pool of Facebook users that have similar attributes. So that might be a group of your purchasers. You're going to enter that into Facebook as long as you have at least 100 of them. And Facebook is going to categorize them, find their similar interests. 
like do a little bit of profiling in terms of like the similarities between all of these source audience members. And they're going to go create an audience that is 1% of the population of whichever country you are then going to choose to target. Do you find the lookalikes work pretty well? I mean, is it, it I mean, cause that's, that sounds like another way of kind of duplicating, but not duplicating. <laughs> I don't know how yeah, to say it, you know? Exactly. Getting access to more, you know, more, re- not resources, but like getting access to more similarities without actually going down and, and nailing the interest. Because when we talked about interest, we talked about hypothesizing and essentially guessing what works. So yeah, we have a few that works. Let's give Facebook with its crazy powerful algorithm some information. They're going to then synthesize that and spit you out an audience that is just as, if not more targeted than your interests. I wouldn't have said this probably two years ago. Like lookalikes were meh. (laughs) They sometimes worked, but they didn't. These days, the power of lookalikes, I'm just finding that they are working sometimes better than interests. The only reason we don't start with lookalikes is that they are very broad. And so when you start with an interest, you you're niching down in a way that you're like, okay, I know that this product that I'm selling is ideal for these people in the interest. Okay. Are they purchasing? Are they clicking through? Are they converting? If we have the answers to those and it's all positive, like, yep, we're making sales. Yep, $1 in is $10 out. That's when you can confidently go over to lookalike audiences and say, hey, these thousand people that have bought our product, Facebook, go find us a million more people that have these similar attributes in whatever the country is that we're trying to target. All right, last question is, Uh, decay or ongoing analysis. I mean, I know these things, they don't work forever. They eventually run out of steam, right? So what should we be doing to make sure that we're, you know, getting something? I I don't know. What kind of analysis should we be doing ongoing, if you will? Constantly looking at the customer journey in terms of each and every step. So looking at your ad click-through rates, looking at your conversions, looking at your cost per acquisition, from a business standpoint, that needs to be done constantly so that you can understand what's happening. And as you're changing cold audiences on the front end, how that's changing the conversion rate and the revenue output on the back end. So, you know, there is the way that we make it more set it and forget it is that we refresh are creative to grow our warm custom audiences. So taking these cold audiences and putting some videos in front of them, putting some engaging content in front of them first so that once they watch at least three seconds of that video or click like or swipe a carousel on a Facebook ad, then they're going to be retargetable in those warm custom audiences so that you can stay top of mind and get in front of them over and over again. So if you're doing cold audience targeting, at scale, you will constantly be having to find new interests, new lookalikes. And my favorite is when you know something converts like gangbusters, just choosing a country, choosing, you know, maybe it's geared towards, let's go back to uh, that pacifier example that we were talking about targeting scary mommy. Maybe you find that 90% of your purchasers are female. So you're going to choose 
females in the United States between X ages based on your customer data and just go broad, add zero interest, zero lookalikes and let the Facebook algorithm and it's oh so powerful, like glory, find your customers for you. Very cool. Um, Amanda, this has been exceptionally valuable. I would love you to tell everyone who's listening where they can discover more about you and everything that you've got going on. Oh my gosh. Well, I would love for you guys to come hang out on the Facebook page. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash the ad strategist, or come on over and visit us at our website at the adstrategist.com forward slash S M E. Thank you, Amanda Bond, so much. We'll catch you next time. Hey, before I tell you where to get the show notes, did you enjoy this podcast episode? Do you enjoy this podcast in general? I would love it if you would consider giving me a rating and a review at socialmediaexaminer.com slash Apple. Now, you can also, if you're listening on an iOS device uh, with the podcast app by Apple, I think you can just scroll up and click review. Not sure exactly I'm 100% right on that, but I'm pretty close to accurate, I think. By the way, uh, Amanda mentioned a lot of cool stuff and you probably want to check it out in more detail. Well, we took all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 360. Yes, 360 episodes. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I promise I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.